0: I think like another way is like, you know, I would find myself like in therapy, which I've like done weekly for the past two years, and it's like there's certain things I would talk about, but there's also certain things I was like, no, like I don't really feel like talking about that right now, or like it feels hard to talk about that, and those are actually the things you do need to talk about. What's up, everyone? I'm Payman. And welcome to episode 95 of the Mad Happy Podcast. Before we get into that, reminder that every week, the first 10 people that send me a five-star review, p at madhappy.com, win a cool prize, so keep that up. Thank you so much for everyone that's done that already. This week, we're actually airing an episode I recorded about a month ago with my friend Danny on his podcast, The Danny Miranda Show. He has an amazing show where he interviews people every week, in all walks of life. I highly suggest you check that out. But we wanted to air this episode that me and him recorded. Uh, we get into a lot of personal stuff, my personal uh, story, and a lot of things that I haven't shared before on this show or, or just generally because the questions haven't been asked. I think he does a great job of asking unique questions and, and having a dialogue that's uh, super interesting and different. So hope everyone enjoys it and let me know what you think. The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism. Enjoy the show with myself and Danny Miranda. Payman, thank you
1: for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for coming to to the HQ. it's <laughs> super nice. I'm really impressed by everything you've built, and I'm sure you've heard that a lot.
0: I'm curious, what does a world changer mean to you? It's a good question. Yeah, it's funny. I think now when we launched a brand it wasn't like something that i was like always thinking about you know now you look at some of the best brands in the world and you could say you know phil knight changed the world in some ways and um in starting nike starting a movement around physical health and running and all those sorts of things so i think for us it's like the concept has always been starting at like the very local level so what we call like a local optimist you know so if you're an optimist in your community then that hopefully inspires others to do the same and trickles across the world instead of being like we're changing the whole world today Um, and that's sort of how our brand was built which is we didn't start with like here's the master plan uh you know it started as a side project and then started to grow and we saw the potential of what it can and could be in the future so um so world changer i think is a is a local optimist in their own community um and really everyone's changing the world in that sense daily i love that from what i
1: understand about the brand made sense and it connected with people almost immediately and that's a relatively rare thing why did it hit people at such a deep
0: level i think there's a couple things uh one is we're very fortunate with the name and i think the name has so much of the meaning of the brand inside of it which which you don't really have uh in many brands you know Mm even a brand like Nike, it's a great name now, but what did it mean back then? It was a little bit hard to say. Mm. I think Mad Happy has this like very optimistic and positive message within it that helped us skip a few of the earlier steps perhaps. But, but beyond that, I think if you consider the streetwear space, uh, which a lot of people would put us in, in LA, in New York that we grew up with, it, it was a bit like, different than what we're doing and i think a lot of those brands were super cool but like pretty dark closed off like not welcoming and i think flipping that on its head having a very like optimistic spin on it with a great name and a great message within it some of those like underpinnings really gave us the leg up at the start and helped the snowball start rolling
1: i hear that but i also know that there are a lot of people who have had really great names who haven't built companies nearly as successful as yours. So what's the difference there?
0: Well, I guess, yeah, there is a big difference if you talk about like what happened at the beginning versus like, you know, what have we done since then to try to give ourselves the best chance? And I think I think we, we quickly understood that like the name hit a chord with people just as it did with us when we first talked about it. And it was like, how do we bring that to more people? And how do we do that in, you know, today's day and age, right? We weren't trying to launch a brand as if it was a brand that launched 20 years ago right so we really controlled everything it was a very like social media first type of like messaging it was really trying to like not not be all over facebook and instagram ads but be more focused on like who are people that embody what mad happy is what optimism is and feels like and how do we have them have the product and share the product and i think that built some of the initial foundation and then we followed that up with a lot of these like Pop ups and seasonal stores that would allow you to experience the brand in person, which at the time in 2017, no one was talking about. Everybody was like, physical retail is dead. Like, why would we ever open up stores? Ecom is the only way. And I think, especially with apparel and something that's like people are so connected to and really try to like show who they are by what they wear, uh, we thought that that was really important. And so a lot of those like small differences at the beginning started to compound. And then I think. Timing wise, it was also amazing because there hasn't been a brand that's talked about mental health uh, in the way that we ended up doing. And we didn't know that at the time. Right. It wasn't again, it wasn't like concocted like this is going to be a brand about mental health. But I think because of the name, because of some of like the core values, it gave us a real leg up to to be the only brand in that space. And then, of course, timing wise, both with covid and and mental health more in the media, it helped elevate our brand because we were there first why mental health and why is that so important? Yeah. So I, I think this would go back all the way to the the beginning of, of how this brand started. And so uh, that would start with, uh, my brother who was two years younger than me, Noah and Mason, uh, my other partner, they, we were, we were good friends in high school and he, he and my brother were always into fashion, had started a brand together in high school. Right. And both of them, really creative kids and trying to figure out their path school was really not for them and and in doing so you know fortunately living in LA you can go downtown find some vendors figure out how to make almost anything and they had an experience doing that and really their first like work experience of any kind and and I think both of them knew that like the traditional college path was not going to be for them Mason had dropped out my brother never went to college and you know, they were just sort of trying to find their way. And after a year or two of that sort of fizzling out, my brother started doing some like celebrity styling, interning for someone. And like, really, that was his like college education, many ways traveling, like working with musicians, athletes, all kinds of amazing people. And I think through that, he sort of learned, okay, like this first thing we did, didn't work, right? Mason was also at a time in his life where he was feeling down, right? And he, was my first friend back in high school that i ever spoke about mental health with he was really my only friend that i knew that seriously struggled you know he never met his biological dad he had to move a lot as a kid and so a lot of just challenging things growing up and he was in therapy since he was seven like you know i didn't really know what therapy even was Mm -hmm. um back in high school and it definitely wasn't like talked about so openly and he you know he was just trying to like figure out his path and he thought of this name mad happy in a text message to someone just like i'm mad happy for you and as soon as he messaged that and i'm sure you had that as one of your questions but as soon as he messaged that he was like wow like you know like something hit him you know like there's something in this name it's like such like a a a weird thing because they're two super common words but like when you put them together it like has this whole different meaning and if you think about it it's like a very there's a very much a mental health message within that Um, that maybe wasn't obvious to us right at the beginning, but, like, that that really was the underpinnings of the brand. And very early on, we did this, like, small panel in our store where we talked about mental health, and and we saw how open, like, the audience was to talking about it, but maybe not having a way to do that. And so that's how it really got us thinking. And what could that be? Like, what is a brand that champions mental health and changes it for the better?
1: So it was basically... Look at all the things that you did look at all the ways the brand was being presented and then figuring out which ways really
0: resonated with people and doubling down on that i would say like the things that resonated with us also resonated with like the audience so okay. it would be that sort of more optimistic spin on things it would be that more like inviting community vibe that that the brand had from the beginning and i think the mental health piece was like there but But we saw like, wow, like this is maybe bigger than we thought because there hasn't been really a brand that's talked about this, dived into this a little bit more. And it was, it's such an un, it's like an uncomfortable thing because like, it's so complex. So it's like, what does being a brand about mental health even mean? Mm -hmm. Especially back then we had no idea, you know, like we're not doctors, we're not therapists, all this sort of stuff. And so I think it became clear that there could be a lane for us there as like, the bigger mission and impact that we could have as a brand
1: so like we were saying before five years ago it wasn't really talked about mental health the same way it's talked about today and you've clearly ridden that wave at some point i'm curious like what is the current version of mental health the thing that's not really being talked about but in 2028 people will be like oh this is part of the
0: conversation Mm. with mental health or 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 generally generally that's a great question i mean there's a lot of things I think uh, for myself, I think I've tried to um, always be listening to amazing podcasts and people that, that end up talking about things a lot earlier. Um, And I've always been into like a lot of the health and wellness stuff. So, so I would probably say there's a few things around like one is like how much we use our phones and how much we're on our phones and like not realizing maybe some of the impacts that that could have Two is like, Potential like negative impacts of just like phone like being on your body basically at all times of the day, and then I think like things around nutrition, around the types of food, the, the the stuff that we should be avoiding, all of those things that's so prevalent in foods. Um, I think a lot of those things. I mean, there's so many that I think we're gonna look back on and be like, can't believe we did those things. Um, so yeah, we could go into any of those if you
1: want. Well, what's so p- super cool about you in particular is that it seems like from like even everything you're doing on social i can see that your one foot is in the future and one foot is in the present does that that dichotomy do do you ever feel that of like oh i'm doing this collaboration with nfts but like no one knows what nfts are in the grand scheme of it or or the impact that it'll have
0: yeah i mean i think personally just like my curiosity has always been um into new things and like into like the future really since i was like in sixth or seventh grade and started like learning about, um, kind of websites and being able to look stuff up and all that. And I was always into like more of like the tech side of things myself, just growing up, like, and then got into you know, when I got into podcasts, I think it was a whole different world because, you know, now you have access to like, listen to anyone's anything about anything, which is really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's like, sort of like my, like, I always want to be learning about new things. Again, I agree with you, like not everything also has to like apply to like our business today or even down the line, but I think it does help me feel more well-rounded and just like have a better understanding of things across the board. And I think early on I was just, sometimes I would think like, should I not learn this stuff right now? It's like not really relevant to what I'm doing and I could learn more about what I'm doing. But I think what I found is like, you can't really control the things you're interested in learning about you have to just like let it unfold and and i think in in interesting ways it'll still impact and benefit the business that you're building too what's your strategy for learning good question i mean i think i think it it definitely evolves and 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 there could always be be more and i think that that's the tough part and i think there could be more and then it could also like you could also improve the quality which are two different things you know i think i'm so used to listening to 20 podcasts a week right like 20 episodes at like 2x speed and that's amazing in one sense but it's also like did I really learn anything because like I'm like you know finding like every minute of free time to do this or you know I'm reading one book a month which like is (laughs) is good because like that's what I could do right now in the time I feel like I have but also like what about time that I'm just not trying to like stimulate myself every second so it's it's really interesting like actually last weekend i uh i didn't use like my phone or any electronics for like 36 hours and it, it was really hard because like i you know i never go on walks not listening to something or i never work out and do not listen to like a podcast you know so i think like my learning strategy is i guess just trying to find a balanced way to do it and and i think also like not feel like i'm like missing out on something if i like don't listen to every single podcast because I think I often do feel that way. What spurred the decision to do the thirty six hour fast from technology or the phone? So I was talking to my therapist about um feeling that I always that I'm always very restless and I feel like I can't um one, I use my phone a lot for sure, but also like You know I'm listening to a podcast if I'm not listening to a podcast like I'm calling one of my friends or I'm doing xyz thing and and not having enough of those moments of like not doing anything and being like oh I'm I'm bored like it's fine type of thing um so he, he you know he recommended like oh like you know he was like you should try 24 hours like no electronics and and I was like oh like yeah I think I could do that I've never really tried that before but I'm down to try and and I was like I'll try to do 36 hours, you know, like Friday night to Sunday morning. And my girlfriend, Sarah, was also happened to be out of town. So, so it was like this very interesting uh, time because like I had to like pre-make any plans I wanted to have on, on Saturday and then, and then just kind of go with that. And, and, you know, I think it was, a it was, it was pretty, I don't want to call it game changing because it's a little bit weird to say that um, from one day, but I do think, I learned a lot (laughs) well I even noticed
1: myself I put out a thread on the best decision of my life which was not to use technology for five days and it got an incredible response because I think there is something really needed in today's day and age of people talking about less phone usage like you were saying before and it's like how what could we say like where do you get your most creative ideas from
0: Mm, I mean I also think like part of it is like during the week um, at, at times I feel like there's way too much in the schedule in terms of like meetings and like plans and like not enough, like free time and open time. And so I think the weekend is one good place for that. But I also think everyone should be getting that every day as well. And so I think what we always talk about here, especially like as like partners with and Mason is like, why do we feel like we can't have more like unstructured time where we could just talk about things and like not have a specific goal or outcome from it but see what comes of it and i think those times um and also times after i do spend a little time away or when i feel my best or most creative or most productive or whatever yeah absolutely how did your parents your
1: dad being an architect and your mom being an interior designer shape mad happy
0: mm-hmm. yeah. well i would say i would say like first and foremost um then moving to a new country you know when when we were really young is the only reason we're here today and i think that's a massive sacrifice to move like in your early 40s to a new country where you don't speak the language and i couldn't imagine doing that um for 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 any reason or for anyone so i think that that that's the first thing and then i think the second piece is like it's it's also very hard to move to a new country and be able to like create a business which they've done together and and provide for our family for the last whatever 20 plus years that we've lived here and so i think for me and my brother it always gave us one like a big sense of gratitude of like we get to be here we get to play in this like amazing game and and do whatever we want right start a company even if it fails then you could start another one and that's not true everywhere in the world but then to also seeing kind of their you know how hard they worked, the sacrifices they made and then just like the ups and downs of that I think teaches us a lot and gave us such a good foundation for starting this business and and of course like very different industries and very different scales as well but I think it allowed us to level up in many ways because of like the sacrifices that they they made
1: what I was really trying to get out of that question was about design and there's something specific to your aesthetic and your design and I'm curious how you went about improving your design skills and improving your
0: aesthetic skills? Or was that something that was just born into you because your parents clearly both have it? Good question. I will say Mason and my brother, um, and especially my brother, are the the main ones focused on like the design side. And I would say both of them have an amazing eye and really have crafted the the brand and the vision and how that shows up visually. And so I think, yeah, one of our advantages was that like we we've done it very much our own way when it comes to design and we've built a strong brand now over almost 6 years without feeling like we're we're taking from all these other brands but really just in our own lane and so i think for sure my that my brother got that from my parents in many ways and and adapted that into into what uh we've been able to build it's cool it's really cool when you
1: why are you the ceo because there are four co-founders and I'm sure each one of them, was there a discussion of like, I'll be the CEO, no I'll obvious, or was just an obvious thing of like, no, David's going to be the CEO?
0: Yeah, it, it's a great question. I mean, I think for the first few years, we didn't have like super defined titles. And, but I also think that people have different skill sets. And, and for us, that's always been pretty clear. And we've all focused in different lanes. And so I think uh, it wasn't like a contentious thing in any way, really. It was just sort of like, now we're at a size where we have t- we were at, at the time that we did it, maybe 20, 25 people. We were like, let's just be more clear. It helps the rest of the team. It helps us. We understand the lanes. We understand who makes what decisions um and who's be- best suited to make each decision. so So that's how we came to it. And yeah.
1: And what is the difference between going from four people, just you four, to 20 people working for you for, and then... 60 or is there 50 how many people work now yeah, for mad happy
0: at, at the HQ level we're, we're probably around 35 but like with retail it gets up there for sure so it's like what's the difference from going from four yeah to 20 yeah i mean i think <laughs> four i mean four. you know everything that's going on obviously and you can sit in one room i think the big difference happens when when not everyone is in one room anymore right and so i think going beyond that even from 15 to 20 it's it's still pretty easy to be able to like really have a sense of every single thing that's going on i think once teams start to shape and you know there's team sizes of i don't know five six seven eight people um that are really functioning on their own have a leader on that side and then you know an amazing team around them then then everything that we do has to change because now what we're doing is really putting trust in them to help build that side of the business and that piece of what we're doing. And of course, figuring out ways where we as founders can communicate the vision and then the strategy around it, but then allowing them to build on it from there and not try to micromanage every situation. I think it becomes second nature to think that way at the beginning when the team's so small, but then letting go of that and moving on to now, not just thinking about what are we doing today or what are we doing next month, but what's going to happen over the next three years, uh, is a, is the biggest change probably. When you think about what you've built, what are what are you most proud of? The piece of, am personally most proud of, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of many things. And I think, uh, one, being able to start the brand at, at such a young age is, is sort of, a is fortunate, I would say, because we, we didn't start it with this sort of like timeline in mind of. We want to do it for five years and sell the business. You know, we started when I was like 23, my brother was 21. We were all around that age. And I think it it gave us a lot of time. And so I'm, I feel really proud that we've been able to accomplish what we have been able to in five years, five, six years. But that there's so much time ahead and we, we still have so much room to go and, and we all feel good about that. That's one piece. I think the second piece is like the way that we built the brand was more in this like high-end aspirational way in that we never took like these like easy paths out whether it be like huge discounts like huge black friday sales um a lot of like paid marketing like that sort of thing to just like try to inorganically grow a brand and instead what we did is like really built this foundation with The products we're releasing the stories around mental health great partnerships with other brands and people and i think that that's built something that can last a really long time and so i feel really proud about that and how the some of the mental health side of what we've done has really impacted individual people um across the world i think that's pretty cool you know we start all of our full team meetings with this like mental health message that someone sent whether it's our cx team or someone else on email and And I think that that's pretty awesome because a lot of times, you know, you you put out this content and I think for us, it's always been pretty clear that like the mental health stuff, maybe it's not for everyone, right? Maybe not everyone wants to like read the stuff that we're putting out there. But if one person's helped by one piece of the content, then that's amazing to us. And so being able to like share that to ourselves, but also to the whole team, I think is something that I'm personally super proud of.
1: It's cool that you guys do that with starting each meeting with a message from somebody and I think it's good to keep that top of mind especially for the mission is there anything that you guys do internally that people uh, any practice in specifically that people might be surprised that you do or that you think has made outsized impact on the brand and building it into what you become
0: I think some of the basic stuff I think we we have a team here that um, we we think is amazing and not everyone has to be like super senior to be able to make a big impact and I think the balance of some of the right senior people, but also amazing, more junior people has been a great thing that we've been able to build here and not have so many layers of hierarchy. So allowing other, allowing so so many more people to have access to whether it's like the founders or, or other people in the organization has been amazing. The second thing I would say is like, you know, it just like takes a lot of hard work. It's some of the basics, but like. I think we've worked extremely hard across the board like the entire organization in in trying to accomplish what we think is a very big and ambitious goal as a company you know and what we're doing like we always say it's like it's not supposed to be easy and it's not going to be like super smooth sailing but i think everyone who's here has been able to understand that and like work work in that way towards this like bigger place that we're going as a brand
1: has there ever been a moment where you're like i i'm not going to do this anymore or like (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I think um, I would say that in any startup journey, there's there's many ups and downs and, and that never ends, you know. So there's always there's always hard times. I don't know if I've ever been like, I'm not going to do this anymore. But there's definitely been times where I'm like, damn, like I thought we, we would have like this type of like problem again or I never knew this could happen or blah, blah, blah. But I think in those times, it's like. Because we've dealt with it and been doing it for so long, you just like know that that one's going to pass as well.
1: Okay, so take me to the first one, the very first one, the very first one, because there's somebody who's listening to this that is going to experience
0: that. I mean, and they're starting their journey. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of early ones. I would say, Uh, initially, you know, when we launched a brand, we we launched it uh, and didn't do enough due diligence, and we didn't own the Mad Happy trademark, and this random guy owned it, and we ended up negotiating something with him and and, and buying it and and now we're fully protected but but at the time you know he made this like claim uh on the name and got our instagram page like wiped out for like a week or something and of course like at that time like that's like the biggest thing we had our biggest marketing channel all of those pieces and and it put us in like this really really weird scared spot of like oh are we gonna have to change the name what are we gonna have to do and so i think that was one moment i always remember as like something that was pretty pretty intense because like for us as like super young founders of this like tiny business like we were like okay like i I don't know like maybe it's done or you know like and the guy wasn't super reasonable so i would say like it didn't help um and uh i think we were able to get through it but that was definitely a a crazy one what you do in that time who would you go to where
1: where do you go for support and where do you go for guidance on on the right steps
0: I mean, at that time we hired the mafia, (laughs) you know, yeah, I would say at that time we, I think like resourcefulness is like one of them, the most important qualities of like anyone in any startup because we didn't have all, all the resources. So you really just have to figure out how to do things and be super scrappy with it. I think for us, we spoke to a lawyer or two just to get their take, but then it was sort of like, how do we convince someone um, that, you know, this is a small thing we're doing and it's not a big deal for him to sell it to us. But while at the same time, like, understanding, like, some of the risks and continuing to operate in some of those pieces. Uh, but but I think, you know, I think we got through it very fortunately, you know, there's another world where, like, he could have never sold type of thing. And so uh we'll feel good about that for sure.
1: It's funny because I, I remember researching and listening to a podcast where you said, you bought the mad happy Instagram for a very small amount,
0: mm. but it's not that. That's a, so that's a different story. Yeah. So that was, um, this guy, Greg Williams, um, actually a very nice and normal guy in that instance. And I had just been DMing him for like a year. He had never answered cause he didn't really check his messages. And finally one day he answered and I was like, Hey, <laughs> you know, we, we, we would really love to get the handle and he wasn't like super crazy about it. And, um, agreed at a very small price and I got him his, his handle at Greg Williams in exchange. So. Oh, wow. You hooked it up for him. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was it was funny. Greg Williams is the
1: man. Good stuff, Greg. Yeah. Now, what was... We talked about like some of the dark moments or the beginning moments of like, God, I don't know if this is going to work. What was the first moment you were like, oh my God, this is really working and and take me through there?
0: Definitely a few moments over the first couple of years. Uh, one of them was our first year uh you know we we haven't really done anything on the wholesale side but but the the exception is like one thing that we did with the store colette in paris uh in 2017 so the store was basically the most famous store in paris was closing at the end of 2017 after like a historic 20 plus year run and we had found a contact to her and had pictured this thing on like this hoodie that we would do that would be collaborative uh to sort of celebrate the closing and their last collaboration ever and she, she agreed to like a very small number of them and we made probably like 100, but we knew it was amazing. We probably made an extra 150 just to have on our for ourselves and know that she would want to order more and she she released 100. It sold out right away and we sold her the rest. Those sold out right away as well and then she was wearing it on the last day of the store being opened. The whole staff wore it um, because we gave one to each of them as well and, and it was all over like business of fashion, all these places and so that was a really cool first moment. And we also saw sort of the power of what some of these partnerships could do. When you spoke
1: before about how it it was about convincing the guy who had mad happy about like how you were small, but like a a big part of the brand is convincing other people that you're bigger than you actually are for most of it, Mm. especially in the early stages of it. How do you go about partnering with amazing brands and, and putting yourself in the perspective like this is bigger than it actually is so that people take us more
0: seriously yeah i think i think that's like the the best question because for for anyone that's doing anything in the early days it's like everything that you can do to make it like seem and feel bigger uh you should do it you know and and i think for us some of the pieces that maybe we didn't realize at the beginning would help us feel bigger like the we did seven pop-ups in the first 18 months that we were around. And, you know, some of those were in really dope places and really cool cities and, and, you know, L.A., New York, Aspen. And when you see something multiple times and then that physical connection to a brand, you know, I think so many brands started just on e-com. And it's like, how can you really have a phys- like real like connection with that brand? When you've been to three or four of our pop-ups, then you're like, oh, like, they're here also? Like, oh, it's bigger than I thought. Or, oh, they did this collaboration with Colette. It's bigger than I thought. And then once you start having a little bit of a track record, it's a lot easier for the snowball to get going because we're like, oh, we did these four stores and we did Colette. Like, of course you want to work with us. And then when you add, like, the mental health piece that, like, no one else could get besides working with us, you know, I think it made it a really cool, like, proposition. And and I think we were doing something that felt genuinely unique and impactful.
1: Yeah, because it's a lot easier when... LeBron James is wearing your stuff, or Spike Lee, or Jay Z. It's like crazy. And it's so clearly big when you see that. Yeah. But in the early days, it's like, no, we're big. We're yeah. big. We're trying to be big. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so it's like, how does that feel now, where it's like the biggest celebrities in the world all wear Mad Happy? What does that feel like?
0: Yeah. And I think that's also, and, you know, a little bit of that at the beginning also, which was like, we saw how much entertainers, musicians, athletes, you know, really cared about mental health and how big of an impact that had on their lives by their willingness to, like, want to wear the product, want to buy the product. And so when we started to grow, we continued to make a conscious effort of, like, having people that we thought would resonate with the brand, trying to get into contact with them, trying to get them product and not really with any expectations. But I think what we saw over time was that the brand resonates with a lot of people. It's a very mental health and optimism and sort of these types of feelings and emotions. We all, we, we all have them. We all feel them every day, even if we recognize that or not. And so there's this sort of universal nature to our brand that I think a lot of celebrities and just people in general were very open to, you know, and maybe hadn't seen before. And so, so I think that that, that definitely helped. And then of course, like we've had amazing moments and, and, you know, we grew up watching LeBron play and then he wore it to the NBA Finals during the, the bubble. And, 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 and that was amazing, you know? And that was a cornerstone moment for us of just, wow, like, you know, the the brand has progressed and wow, this is amazing. And, and continuing to obviously motivate us and the team to like keep going. Do you look at competition at all? Do you factor competition
1: into what you do or is it just head down and focused on yourself?
0: I mean, I, I would say that we we of course like look at what other brands do because they think there's many things to be inspired by and to learn from but but we've always said and we always do feel like we're pretty much in our own lane and we've sort of created something that wasn't there before and so you know like if you know when Nike started like yes they looked at the other footwear brands but like there wasn't like a footwear brand that is what Nike is today then you know even Adidas wasn't like that much part of like the fabric of the culture that Nike became. And so I think, you know, we're always trying to learn and there's always people to learn from. And I try to talk to a lot of amazing other uh, founders of brands and stuff just, just to learn really, you know, and it's like, obviously no one can do it on their own. But it, but I think um, a healthy balance of that and just trusting what we're doing has also been, been good so far. Sweet.
1: When you look at happiness and how it has become almost the, the status symbol of today, where it's not about how much money you have, but it's about how happy do you feel? What are some of the downsides of that being the cultural currency? And what are we giving up by seeking or attempting for happiness at all times?
0: So the biggest thing, in my opinion, around around mental health in general is like talking about the spectrum of it versus just like any one thing. So I think part of what gave mental health this like bad reputation was thinking about, like, just, like, the dark depressive thoughts as, like, what mental health is, right? So if someone's depressed, you're like, oh, like, that's what mental health is. But if someone was like, oh, I'm feeling great today, you wouldn't be like, oh, he's having an amazing day. Like, that's also mental health. Yeah. And so what we've tried to talk about a lot is, like, the spectrum, right? Which is there's great stuff, there's really bad stuff, and there's everything in between. And I think, you know, what, what you have to consider is, like, we're not always going to be in that like great camp. Of course, we want we want to do things and set up our life so that we, we do feel our best on average or most of the time, but also understanding that like all the other emotions, right? Sadness, anger, all of those things, we will feel them at times and, and understanding the importance of those as part of a well-rounded experience. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, something really bad happening in your life. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay to have a level of suffering over that. I think what tends to happen is perhaps some people inflict even more suffering on themselves in those situations. And maybe that's a pattern that you want to break versus I shouldn't feel sad. And I'm going to be overly optimistic even during a sad time. And so I think uh, that that's what you're giving up. If like what you're talking about is like, I need to feel happy 100% of the time because that's also not true to like the human experience, you know, and that there are going to be days for whatever reason, even if you do everything right, that you don't feel um, as good as you felt the day before, you know, but that's still you. And those feelings are still you and, and you have to feel them for them to be able to pass, you know, and if you try to block it out too much, then it could lead to something worse down the line. It's interesting. When, when you think about like our
1: culture in the United States, we have one of optimism and looking at the bright side of things. What do you think has, what do you think are are some things that have contributed to the optimistic nature of the United States in
0: general? And how can we help lead people more to that frame of mind? The U.S. has definitely done that. And I think, you know, the whole land of opportunity thing and like the fact that so many of the best companies in the world have been started here i think really has painted a picture that anything is possible here and and that's what i believe you know and i think that that's why i was saying i was like so thankful for my parents for moving here because it's like that's not possible everywhere and so i think the us has done a really good job with that and so i think the parts that become challenging are like you know how do we make sure we continue to do that and continue to like foster a place where everyone does feel good feel safe feel like they can do whatever they want and and it doesn't matter how much money you have today or how successful you've been, but that you can find a path to begin working and to begin building yourself up to be whatever it is you want to be. So I think that that piece of it and that like optimism is definitely like embedded into what at least I feel in being an American. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, it's interesting because as the world has become more connected, I recently saw a Gallup poll that we've – collectively become less happy like they asked people in 2006 to i believe 2022 where they tracked Mm. the feelings of anger sadness and it has increased dramatically since 2006 and i'll I'll flash it on the screen so people can see it but why is that the case why have we collectively become less happy when we've become more connected
0: and conditions have gotten better i don't know if i'm the best person to answer that question but i would say well, my thought would be is, like, one is, like, the condition has always gotten better from, you know, thousands of years ago. Every year there's been improvement. Uh, but I think people don't really feel that change because you only know what you know when you are alive, right? Like, everyone now is living a better life than kings were 200 or 300 years ago. But but we don't necessarily feel that way because I think everything's relative, right? And I think the relative piece it is what's challenging, you know, because... Uh, you look at famous people, you look at, you know, these people and what they're doing on Instagram or whatever, and and I think people are quick to, like, judge and be like, wow, like, this person's life is so much better than mine, and, like, you know, like, my life sucks, you know, that type of thing. Whereas, like, the famous person is like, hey, like, actually, like, like, I'm dealing with so many hard things, too, and I know that it's, like, maybe hard for you to relate, but, and so it's, like, it's this, like, whirlwind of things where it's, like, The famous person has all this pressure on them and because of all the lights and cameras feel less happy and then like the person looking up to them is like damn like I want that or I want this or I want that and I think like that that piece of it has become a lot more challenging in this like connected world you know and before if you know you lived in a community and all you knew were the people in the community it still happened right you still compared yourself to whoever in the community had the most status or was whatever but but I think it's become harder because now everyone can do that with everyone in the world
1: and we could see everyone doing amazing things and it's like well, I'm not doing that but is there anything we could do to help people play the comparison game less or to have a better understanding of their own position and be grateful for it
0: yeah I mean I think uh and I think that that's around both the education piece around like hey like one is like your own self worth your own mental health is like an inner game and like there are tools you need to build yourself to continually like feel feel good about who you are and then it's okay if you want to improve and you want to get better but it's like you know where you are today what what you want to do in the future and how you want to build up to get there versus saying like i want to be that person it's a lot easier said than done because like most of the media most of like the narratives are around oh like you're not rich or you're not this or you're not that. And so so I think it's hard, but I think talking about it, I think people, for example, our podcast, we talk to celebrities and every single one of them has had such a hard mental health experience, almost every single one of them. And so many of them, it's like when you would think they were the happiest, when they won a gold medal or when they blew up on Instagram or whatever it was, also happens to be like the hardest time and the time that they felt the worst in their life And no one would expect that you know and i think after hearing enough of those stories hopefully people start understanding and feeling more confident in that like we all share these experiences we all have our ups and downs and all we can do is just like do our best and continue to hopefully improve over time if that's what we want
1: has that also been the case for you where the better it appeared externally the less internally whole you've been
0: so i wouldn't say exactly for me and i and i would say like I, I could see how that would be the case with something like you know lindsey Vaughn in the Olympics and a lot of the stuff that led up to that moment and all the lights and pressure of that. I think of course we feel some sort of pressure with with being founders of this brand but but not in that way in any way so very fortunate for that. I would say for me the the times that I've had that have been hard uh, um haven't necessarily mapped to. How I was doing professionally at the time, I've had two or three experiences in my life that that i've been i felt more down than I usually am, and those of those were kind of independent and not linked uh necessarily
1: Why did you feel so uncomfortable to discuss your own journey with mental health and I believe episode thirty seven of the podcast maybe it was a little late
0: when I did it when I did Are you sure yeah i mean i uh, uh, I would say that Uh, generally speaking I haven't been one like like I think Mason's very good at talking about how how he's feeling and being super vulnerable um, especially on the podcast and for me when we started the show like was really also the first time I started therapy and I ever even had to like think about how I felt and some of those pieces that I had never done before and so I think it's taken a lot of getting used to kind of breaking the ice for the first time and understanding um, how I want to share it and and what pieces I want to share and when I share it and I think I've gotten a lot better at it now and and I've tried to be as open as possible and not only on the podcast whether that's with my girlfriend or my parents or my brother or my friends um, but I think it feels unnatural because you just haven't done it you know and then you have to do it a good amount to like make that feeling go away
1: Mm. what in particular have you helped have have you found that's helped make that feeling go away other than just sharing it more
0: Mm, yeah i mean i think sharing it is one piece uh because one thing i learned is like you know if if you hold things inside and this was back to the point around if you don't if you try to like over optimism yourself out of feeling sad you know um that that thought that feeling's not actually going away it's just kind of like getting buried inside And I think the buried inside thing is like all of us have things that like we've buried in some way. And I think therapy and talking about sort of the past and and potential things that you're dealing with today help the actual you saying the words out loud or writing them down. They work kind of in different ways is allows that to come out of your body so that it can be let go in some way. Maybe you're not 100% letting it go the very first time you talk about it. But even that relief of like 10% of it is like, oh, when you talked about it the first time, you do feel that. And I think there's like this like reward feeling of sharing something that felt difficult. I think like another way is like, you know, I would find myself like in therapy, which I've like done weekly for the past two years. And it's like uh, there's certain things I would talk about, but there's also certain things I was like, no, like I don't really feel like talking about that right now or like it feels hard to talk about that. And those are actually the things you do need to talk about. So, so I would say that, that that's what I would say.
1: <laughs> Makes sense. When you think about what you buried for, that has come up as a result of therapy or something that you've learned internally, what is the thing that you buried? And I'll give you an example. It's like, for me, I started doing this meditation and every day I would meditate for 60 minutes straight. And by like the third week of it, I realized that I was burying the situation where this kid shoved me into a locker senior year of high school for 10 years. And I never, never actually- Like one time he did that? One time he shoved me into a locker. It was like a, it's a long story. I've I've told it on the podcast before, but it it like takes me back to a bad place. I'm like, holy shit, I started lifting weights because of doing this. And I started, you know, taking myself seriously in this aspect just because I felt that shame of that moment of, and I buried it for eight years. I didn't even realize that Mm -hmm. I did. Is there anything that comes to mind for
0: you? How here? long did you do the 60-minute thing for
1: I did it for eight years. Wow. I mean, eight months, rather. And I said eight years. That would be amazing if I did <laughs> But no, eight months I did it, and it was within two weeks that it came up. Because I, I started to hear all the voices in my head, and I was like, huh, I'm holding on to this situation or that situation. So, What time were you doing that at? First thing, upon waking. So. And just breathing? or like Just watching everything that came to mind so I'd watch but then were you trying to let it go no no I I, I ended up letting it go because I realized that it was there and I felt like oh wow I didn't realize that that was there I feel compassion eyes closed eyes closed wow I feel compassion for this guy and I, I I know he must have been in a difficult place when he did that and like
0: yeah yeah I mean I think for me um, and do you still meditate yes 20 minutes in the morning nice love that and pretty religiously yeah that that's amazing um, I would say for me one of the things has been like so I moved to the U.S. when I was six didn't speak English and I think it, it was it's hard to remember everything that happened because I was so young but but not speaking the language not having any friends feeling like you don't fit in um I think impacted me more than I expected today if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so so some of those pieces around do I really well in school try to be super successful trying to um, work really hard you know always be listening to something like I was saying all of those things are really tied to like why do I feel like I always need to like improve you know and, the, and and I've always believed that like improving is a good thing and I talk about it in therapy and my therapist brought up this thing around if you're always telling yourself that you have to be better or get better then you're also sending yourself a message that, like, you're not good enough with who you are today, you know? And so I think there's a balanced way to think about that, which is, like, telling yourself that, like, you love the way you are today and you want to improve on certain things or you want to learn more or whatever it is. And I think trying to have that um, has really helped me. Uh, yeah, Yeah, you've said before that some of
1: your self-talk is, I am perfect exactly the way I am and I can improve a little bit. Yes, exactly. That's a good one. Is there any other mantras you talk about often or that
0: play in your head that have helped you? I just believe that I was definitely born feeling more optimistic than average. Um and I don't think that like I trained that in any way. I think I was just very fortunate with that. And because of that, I've always felt like a confidence, not like a confidence like I know everything, but like a confidence like I know I can figure it out. And I think that that served me very well in 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 life you know and i think of course confidence builds as you start doing things and and some of them work some of them don't work and you rebuild back up in times where maybe you fail at something that you thought you were really good at but i think that optimism is very closely tied to like any success that we've had so far and and hopefully you know any that we'll have in the future what about getting cut from the basketball team how did that shape you? Yeah, so that's another crazy story. So in eighth grade, I broke my hip skiing. I went off of a jump, landed on my back, and now I have a plate, six screws in my hip, and thankfully I'm all good, and it happened at a really young age so that I could heal from it. But really, like, I only had, like, a month before, like, kind of tryouts and all this stuff, and 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 it was super sad, you know. It was definitely, like, in high school that was, like, probably, like, one of the lowest moments I had because at the time, you know, like that's like everything for someone who's just like a freshman in high school and not making it was just like such a tough experience for me, I would say. Because I that's like a that's kind of like the first time that like I felt like I failed at something, you know, and um, obviously breaking my hip, like I couldn't have controlled that, um, but but I think yeah that's a great point I from that point I, I, I continued to work really hard of course like made the team the next year and all that and played over the next couple of years and I think high school basketball for me was a very foundational experience in my life because it's more related to like real life than like school because of the ups and downs the team nature of it the you win or you lose type of type of environment where that, that's not really the case in school for me it wasn't um, and so so I think, again, like a very foundational moment that, you know, I had to like rebuild my own confidence in that, like, I can't accomplish this thing, you know?
1: So I got cut from my seventh grade basketball team, but I took that as a sign. I'm not good enough. I can't improve. That's just the way it is. I didn't know otherwise. I didn't know I could actually try to do things and I would get better if I, if I did them. What in your head? I mean, you had the excuse of being like, well, I got into an accident, so therefore if i if i was 100 percent, yeah then i could but yeah. have you always had that mindset of like um it's gonna get better if i just put in work to something
0: yeah i guess i don't know what i was thinking at the time i i definitely like felt that i really wanted to play basketball in high school and felt that i should be on the team mm-hmm. um and you know some things are very political as well and i felt like there was <laughs> there was definitely some things that like got in the way of that and i think i've always like you know, growing up, it's just like moving here. And it's like, you don't have like connections. It's hard to get like internships, all of those things, I think fed into this, like larger thing of like, I have to work really hard. And, 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 and that's sort of the only piece I can control and being focused on that. And so I think the amount of time I put into basketball in high school is like, like crazy amount of time. Like really? hard to even like explain is very indicative of like now how I think about work. And, and of course, like, There's, there's a balance to like rest and play and stuff that I've learned a lot more now, but, um, it just takes a lot of hard work and it still might not go your way and all these things. And, and so I think for me, it was just like the confidence to like, just work really hard. (laughs) Well,
1: take me through like the progression of how you've worked hard at Mad Happy and what, what hard work looks like today. Compared to what hard work work looked like at year two of building the business.
0: I think we were just like very fortunate that we had four people because we didn't have like a budget to hire people. And so four people is a lot better than two people working on something because there's just more people that could do more work. And so, I mean, hard work, what did hard work mean at the time? It was just also an hours thing, right? Like that was like purely hours because you have to ship all the stuff. But then you have to figure out what we're doing next and then you have to help build all the pop-ups and then you have to do all the customer support, all of that stuff. And so that at the beginning, yeah, it's just a function of really hours and also just trying to figure it out, being positive, knowing that not everything's going to work and just like keep going. After that, I think now it's like, I think hours still plays a big role and it always will. And I think that that's like, whether that means like I'm physically working or or i'm reading or i'm doing something i do think that's part of it you know i think hours resting is also a part of it right and like that 36 hours without my phone is also a part of it but but i think to think that you can get to a place i mean at least i haven't found that i can just like coast type of thing um and like expect like the business to do super well just because like we've been around for five years so to like the way it's changed now is just trying to like be smarter about like how we're setting up each of the teams giving them the tools to be successful getting out of their way in their right ways not having confusing messages like kind of like around with teams and like so clarity around that stuff and of course like we're not perfect at it um but i think we've gotten better hopefully grace would agree (laughs) uh but uh but i think like that you know because now it's ours is a big part of it but it's also like how, you know how is the output and like output is really controlled also by the process and clarity and all of those pieces because it's not necessarily more people means more work or better work it's like all the pieces having to work well together and it's more of like this puzzle where before it was just like it's just us four so like you do that you do this i do that keep going keep going keep going what personal
1: metrics have you used to indicate whether or not you are successful in your day-to-day life And the reason why I ask this is because it's like happiness and our mental health, it's like, there's no, there's no number you get. Like it's a number that you yourself build. And for example, like I, I rate each one of my days on a plus two to minus two scale at the end of it. And so that's a good indicator of like,
0: where'd you get that from Tim's show?
1: Tim Ferriss with Jim Collins. Collins. (laughs) Yeah. You you listen to it, of course. (laughs) So because... Jim Collins said this on this podcast I was like all right like uh, I'll try this out and it's really helpful to figure out my own mental health and how I'm doing but are there any particular metrics that you found to be
0: successful in figuring out your own mental I actually love that one though I've never done it because I really understand that concept I feel like it like makes a lot of sense to me versus like a one to ten type scale which I'm like is so subjective and it's more about how I feel that day I think yeah for me it's like The way i try to track it is is a little bit around the habits piece so it's like i can't necessarily control how i'm going to feel on any one given day but i know for example if i do these types of things like workout wise during the week this type of sleep during the week and this type of xyz fun activity during the week generally i feel good you know and then i think i try to like optimize optimize that a little bit over time like for example right now I'm not doing any meditation as a part of anything and I think you know I'm definitely missing something by not doing that right and have you ever yeah yeah, I have and I've done like different spans of maybe three to six months straight and then I sometimes fall out of it and then I go back into it and uh, I haven't been able to find the perfect way so that it's been in my life for like a year plus at once which I'm trying to do but I'm also not being like tomorrow I'm starting and so I think that's how I think about it I would say is like Did I do the habits piece right for what I feel and I've learned that works for me? Some things you can't control. Sometimes you're going to sleep less than you thought or you can't work out as much. And that, you know, I think it's a little bit up to chance, a little bit up to just think you've done a lot of hard work and put a lot of time into it. And so hopefully you still feel good when those habits break for a little. But getting back into it's just always been important to me. Why do we not do the things that we know we should I think, I mean, everything is like, is it actually a priority for you? Clearly, like, clearly what I've said to myself right now is like, you know, I have this thing around when I like to be at the office, Um, just person for me and being able to work before like it's super busy. And so then if I do want to do the meditation thing in the morning, I have to wake up X amount earlier. But then if I do that, I need to sleep X amount sooner, which has been really hard recently for me just because of a variety of things so so then it's like am i am i giving that up and then if i'm giving that up it's not you know it doesn't only impact me it also impacts my girlfriend so like you know some of those things i think are you know i say i want to do meditation but i'm also not saying i, I want to start today you know i do want to start and i think kind of this 36 hour thing was a very interesting meta meditation because like you're alone and you know you don't your eyes don't always need to be closed to like be like kind of like meditating and I think that was a close experience to that and it made me feel a lot of the positive effects I would feel from meditation when I was doing it and so think things like that could also help whose
1: do you look at whose life do you look at and you say I admire this the way this person lived or this person lives
0: that's a good question um I would say do you listen to uh do you listen to the, the founder spot David said yeah Ed Thorpe yeah <laughs> is that what you're gonna yeah. say I mean I, what I would say is like I don't know him that well I haven't read any of his books but what I liked was the kind of the ability to like not stay like locked into just like making money forever mm-hmm. you know and he was so successful pretty early on in his career and he was like okay like I'll still do fun things I'll still learn I'll still like explore things and like keep busy but i won't try to like have the biggest hedge fund in the world and you know make billions and billions and billions of dollars and it's very interesting because i've almost never heard of someone especially like in finance that chose to do that so Mm -hmm. it seems like a very rare trait and i think the way that he's been able to you know build a family and 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 have um work out a lot and all of those pieces still be very like successful still be very like driven i would say i don't think he's less driven by not trying to keep going on sort of that hamster wheel i think that's pretty amazing so that's why yeah he's also appeared on tim Ferriss, and i've been meaning to check out that episode because he's still
1: living and he so a, a guide that we yeah. can refer. episodes it's really good Re- oh you've, yeah. you've heard them yeah wow what source of beauty in your life are you do you wish you could have more of or that you expect to have more of in
0: the near future yeah so another thing for me is like I do find I feel better you know we have an amazing office uh, but I think one part that we don't have here and we didn't even have in our old office was like any sort of like nature and and that vibe and I think we're lucky to live in LA and have a lot of access to that but I've, I've found that I haven't like experienced that as much recently and so I think that that's one thing I try to do during the 36 hours of just like going to a park stuff like that that like i haven't done as much of but but like feels very good and feels very like human so so that's one (laughs) i love it with so much of your life online on the phone
1: on building it how do you maintain presence how do you
0: maintain the ability to just be with somebody how do you maintain the ability to be human yeah so that was like the first question i asked which is what led to me doing the 36 hour thing because it was like you know, I would come home. I was like tired, so I just want to be on my phone because like I want to like unwind or whatever. And I think that that's there's a challenge in like kind of turning it off. And I think you know, oh, like if I see this one more tweet, like I'm gonna know so much more. Type of type of mentality, which it's obviously wrong. um So so I think a little bit of like being able to disconnect and forcing presence. I think helps you learn to be more present even when you have your phone. And so, you know, I think incorporating that more into my life, like I think I'll do it at least like once a month, that like 24 hour plus span of like no phone, no technology thing. And I think try to find more of those moments in my life where I don't feel like I need to always be like tapped in or checking and and I've gotten better at it. You know, I used to like check email like every second check slack every second have like every notification come up like a lot of those things i've reduced just because like most things are not urgent most things i don't need to see every second you know so i have almost no notifications on um and that's been helpful yeah it's interesting because like part of it is hours that you spend building the
1: brand another part is like making sure you don't lose yourself in that whole process
0: it's like it's a tough yeah for sure for sure. And I think, um, I think it would be a lot harder if it was just like myself alone. It's like the only founder. I can't really imagine that. And then I think now we have a really good team and, and everyone is very much in it together and we found a really good rhythm, I think. So when you look at where this is going, what
1: would make you look back at the end of 2023 and being like, yeah, we crushed this year. We did an unbelievable job and it went even better than we expected. What does
0: that look like? Great question. And we sort of try to map out both in terms of like, where is this brand going to be 10 years from now, but also like, where do we want to be at the end of the year? And I think we've done a pretty good job so far of getting to that or exceeding that every year. And, and so, you know, we think about it in a way of like, this brand feels very universal and we want it to be as big as it should be whatever that number ends up being right like we're not here saying like this needs to be a billion 10 billion whatever whatever the number ends up being like it's a little bit weird to be to think you know right now and so it's really like we set goals around obviously where we want to be growth wise but also like on the retail side what are we doing this year what would feel successful we're opening our first like flagship store this year so that's going to be an amazing moment we're opening stores all all around the world this year we're starting to work with some like great partners all around the world because we've never really sold product through other stores yet. Mm -hmm. so those feel like big steps. And then I think at a brand level, how do we continue to have everything feel and be more cohesive around this idea of optimism and mental health and really pushing the conversation forward in everything we do, in our content, in our apparel, in our partnerships. And so those are really the goals. And again, when the inputs, we feel like when the inputs have been right, then like the outputs have worked out, you know, and it hasn't been like so, so mathy every time of like this percentage, this, and this percentage, this, and just try to continue to get better and get out of our own way and do things that we know feel like the brand and are the brand.
1: What are some of those inputs that you're using?
0: So uh, our biggest brand differentiator is that like we're a brand that, that is very positive, is very optimistic, and then has this larger mission around creating conversation around mental health. So- does that come across in everything that we do mm. and is it continuing to position us where we want to be positioned? Right. We're also not positioned as like, you know, the super mass like type of brand. You could buy it anywhere, like it's in Target, it's in Walmart. You know, it's not. So it's like with our brand positioning and with the lens we've chosen, are we executing against that like we think we are? And are we getting better at doing that? Because it's hard to make everything always be like perfectly cohesive. But if we're not getting better at that every year, then we're going to reach some sort of dead end. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's interesting because what you've achieved is like almost an exclusive thing that's inclusive. Do you feel that as well? Like it feels as if it's as if it's a, an aspirational brand, but it's something that everyone can associate with.
0: It's a weird balance. You guys are, I know that's not happy, you know? So, so I think for us, um, it's, uh, I think that's a part of it. You know, I think we want to feel like a very inclusive brand and in many, many ways we are. And, and I think that we've done a good job of like, it's not just about buying clothes. Like everyone can be part of the community, whether you're listening to one of our podcasts, coming to one of our stores, like you don't need to buy something to be a part of it. And I think like the best brands have a a flair of both, right? I would say Nike is the most inclusive brand in terms of everyone wears it all over the world. But then they did the Virgil collab, which was the hardest thing in the world to ever get. And to get one of those shoes was like the most exclusive thing, you know. And I think there is something to like the duality of that. And I don't think that everyone needs to be able to get everything for them to like feel like your brand's inclusive. You know, I think it's all about your messaging, your intention, how you do things. And, and the excitement around product is also like a time scarcity thing, you know, that does play a role. And I think it's an exciting role in, in our brand. Yeah.
1: In 2018, you retweeted Naval, who said, <laughs> Become the best in the world at what you do. Keep reiterating or keep refining. Refining. Thank you. I, I, my misspelling here, my old word. Yeah, I, I need to work on my handwriting. I, I wrote it here on the way here, but keep refining what you do until it is true. So I'll say that again Become the best in the world at what you do. Keep refining what you do until this is true. What? Wow what are you the best in the world at or what have you refined yourself to be the best in the world at?
0: Yeah, I think it'd be a little bit weird today for me to say that I'm the best in the world at something. I think. Come on, Payman, Talk that shit. I Talk know, that shit. I know. Talk that shit. <laughs> I, know um, I do know what I, what I am really good at and I've continued to refine that around being able to have a wide lens of things that like I'm curious about and learn about and then figuring out how to apply that and in that energy into what we're building at Mad Happy. And so I think that that sort of view and mindset has allowed me to be a, a unique benefit to the company uh, because it's like a very different approach than than most people in the space where they're super focused on apparel or fashion and really know about that. And I think that learning from a lot of different things has allowed me to be really good at what I'm doing today. What did you realize you were good at looking at the whole spectrum Th- that's i think that's what started in sort of like sixth or seventh grade for me oh which was like i i was always like learning about things not necessarily because like we had to in school but really because like i was interested in it and then i found that like someone who was like a lot older than me would bring something up and like i knew something about that and and i was like oh like that's interesting like it could impact me in a positive way by being able to know that or figuring out how to connect with this person or email that person and those sorts of things like start to become like clear that like i was good at that
1: you've said before that you've always felt older than you actually are
0: <laughs> how old do you feel right now um i don't know maybe like 35 <laughs> I really, yeah why is that the case i think it has to do with like um i don't know i've just uh i've tried to take i've tried to be very like like since an early age like i always wanted to like Work really hard because I was like, oh, I I believe in myself that like I could accomplish something great, whatever that was, even if that wasn't starting a company. and And I think that that made me have this mindset of like, well, like, you know, well, like, I'm in eighth grade, but like, but like, it's fine if I know something that someone in twelfth grade knows, you know. And that 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 sort of same thing of like, getting along with people that are a lot older than me, being able to talk to them, being able to learn from them those sorts of things which maybe aren't as like innate to everybody at a younger age to me just felt very normal and natural and it didn't feel like i was just trying to like talk to someone who was 60 to talk to someone who was older or successful but it was like felt like more of who i was you know and and so i think that that has that has helped me a lot
1: where does the desire to be great stem from
0: well, i mean i think that's a that's that's definitely that's definitely deeper i think for me i've you know it's hard to say like where was it born you know because it's like i've always ever since i could remember wanted to do my best work really hard and be successful in whatever it was that i was doing at the time i think a lot of that is probably due to moving to a new country feeling like i didn't fit in and seeing like success around me and wanting that in some way for myself i think as i've gotten older what i've gotten better at refining is understanding more of the pieces of like what success means to me and of course money plays a role in that but you know before you might think oh you want to be famous or oh you want to have a billion dollars and that's what success is but now it's like such a more well-rounded concept in my head sort of the ed thorpe thing we were talking about of like your health your relationships financial success and then just like feeling good you know like those those things are really like what drive me now but i think i always had that drive and, I, and then i just refined what that was for me
1: what percentage of can you break those percentages down in your head what uh, percentages of your own success is based on money what percentage of your own success is based on
0: relationships I think it's like a well-rounded thing which is like you need them all and they're things that you you know like health relationships um and like finances those are probably like the three legs of the stool that like you want to feel good about for whatever that means for you and at whatever stage you are in your life, you know? So so I know for me right now, it's like having putting some of those foundational pieces in place. So like having a successful business early on helps alleviate some of those things because it's not, because once you reach a minimum threshold, then like, you know, you're in a lot better of a place to be able to continue to build on that. But obviously during that time, I've also chosen to, have great relationships, and work on my health. Could I work on those things like more? Technically, yes, but obviously some of the stuff I'm sacrificing now is to try to make our business as successful as possible and and have it make a really big impact. And so I think they all change at different times of your life, but you have to have, or I've had this like sort of like three-legged mindset to it.
1: Speaking about the relationships piece of it, what makes for a good parrot? and I know you're not a parent right now, but I'm curious in what ways did your parents do an amazing job? And in what ways did your parents do things that you wish you could improve?
0: Mm. Well, I would say, I think I've always thought that my parents did an amazing job just because of, you know, we grew up in LA and you grow up around a lot of like success and different things. And, And I think it never made us like kind of just chase kind of more status symbol type things that instead of like the real stuff of like building something and trying to be successful and working hard. And like a lot of those values we learned from our parents, both from like how hard they worked, but also just how present they were in in raising us. And I think that that's more rare than I thought. And I learned that after I started growing up, you know, it's hard to know when you're younger. And then I think, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't really have areas that I'm like, I mean, you know, things are on mental health, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my mom was always, like, in therapy since we moved here because it was, like, hard for her. But, like, I didn't really know until I was older. And I think pieces of that are, like, taboo, especially at the time to, like, be talking about. And now, obviously, we talk about it all the time. But I think that and some of the stuff that's, like, more uncomfortable to talk about with parents, or parents to kids, or vice versa. I think some of those things, I wish that I could have done more, or known about more, and hopefully I'll do that with my kids. But I think everyone's also a product of their times, you know, and I think it's hard to think, you know, they also had so many challenging experiences, right? Like, they left Iran in the late 70s, because like, everyone had to leave, and there was a revolution, and it was so scary, and like, that's a very traumatic event. And If you look at a lot of the people who moved here or moved all over the world from Iran at that time, like they deal with some very serious mental health challenges and it's very like under addressed and very under talked about, but it's like very hard and, and it's hard to think back and like how you would have reacted to something like that. But really thinking about that is, is is super interesting.
1: What is going to be the, the most important lessons you instill in your future children?
0: Uh, I would say the first thing would probably be, like, kindness. I think one thing that my parents um, at least always did their best to instill in us was that it's all about being, like, a good person regardless of who you're talking to. So whether it's, like, a waiter or the or the president, like, you should be really treating everyone the same. I think that's one thing I really want to uh, instill in my kids. I think that ability and knowing that, like, you do have to work hard for the things you're interested in or the things that you want to go after and not necessarily telling them that like any one path is the way, but whatever their path they think is, like you have to work really hard at that or else like it's going to be very hard to be successful and not try to just like um sort of let them think that success just comes by waiting or like not, not really like being in action and moving. And that could mean changing like industries or what they're interested in every three months. Like, I don't care about that, but it's like the ability to like learn and the curiosity piece and how that ties into hard work is definitely one I would try to instill. And then the last one would probably be, you know, on the mental health side of just like trying. And hopefully by then I'll have many more tools to be able to pass down, but it's like, this is like a real part of like everyone's life. And there's going to be times where you're really sad and that's okay, and, like, you should talk about them in a way that allows you to, like, let that move through you and 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 feel better, you know, down the road, and and there's going to be a lot of, you know, when you're a kid, like, everything is such a big deal, you know, like, when you got shoved in the locker, like, if you think about it, like, that's not, like, so crazy, like, whatever, but, like, it's a huge deal at the time, you know, and everyone's dealt with, like, bullies and stuff, and, like, at the time, you're so scared, like, oh, I hope I don't see them at school, like, all this stuff, and now you think about it, you're like, damn, like, that's so, like, you know, it's like embarrassing that I was so scared. And so I think being able to deal with that as a kid, especially with social media, all this stuff is is it, hard, you know? And so being able to teach them that some sort of toolkit around that would be a big one.
1: Work hard, be kind, and learn about mental health. That's a, a good three trio to for any person, really. Yeah. I like to say work hard and be yeah. kind. If you can do that, it's all gravy. Uh, talk to me about the best possible invention for humankind if you were to think about what one thing you could invent or one discovery that could happen that would change the world what would you say we're missing or we can discover
0: probably like a way to both like diagnose and help treat any sort of like illness including mental i think is probably a big one because Right now, if you think about it, we don't really know a lot about what's going on inside of us at all times. I think that's going to be another thing that people think is crazy is like, you know, it's so sad when you hear stories about, oh, someone found a cancer, but it was like too late. But it's like we should know right when that happens or, oh, this person dealt with a very traumatic event, but now they just have to live with that for the rest of their life. And it's like probably not. Right. And there's probably going to be ways to treat all of these things sooner. And also, like, help people build an understanding of, like, you know, you go through a traumatic event. I think there's, like, a world where, like, whether it's, like, a psilocybin thing or a ketamine thing treatment that someone does. And then, like, they're helped by that. And then they can live a more productive life. I think sometimes what happens is, like, things go on for so long. And then it's hard to, like, get them out of that. So so, I think that would be an amazing invention.
1: It's funny because stuff like psilocybin and ketamine are stuff where i feel like almost five years ago you would have been uncomfortable to bring up or people would have been uncomfortable to say on a podcast but today it's like part of the cultural narrative it's inside the overton window so how do you think about
0: psychedelics and ketamine have you personally explored any of that and how how do you you know, I you know actually no i actually haven't which is funny uh, but no i mean it's something that like my therapist i've talked to him a lot about it and There's a lot of amazing, of course, research happening in this space. Mm. And I think, again, like there are things that are very hard to get past just in talk therapy or just with medication. And I think there's clearly like a a problem that needs to be addressed and there needs to be new solutions to help like help the people who are like suffering the most. And and so I think that's going to be a part of like daily life and that's going to be a part of like. A real treatment that like is helping cure some of these like serious mental illnesses that um that people have and 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 i think it's it's going to be totally normal you know and it's going to be actually a more helpful way to do these things in a more long-lasting way Mm.
1: yeah i was doing research for this and found out like in high school you didn't drink and (laughs) you've never been into peer pressures never affected you in any way what do you say or what would you say to somebody in high school or college listening to this who does deal with peer pressure and is
0: trying to figure out like who wants to be payment in high school yeah well it's probably like not true that i didn't deal with any peer pressure like there's definitely things that i did because others did them Mm -hmm. and i think that's like a kind of like a herd type thing that happens in like elementary and high school but i think there were specific things that yeah like weren't for me like i didn't drink in high school i didn't like ever really smoke like any of that stuff i just wasn't really interested in it um but i would say yeah it's hard you know and and, and it's like what i found was like i think just like sticking to that for a long enough period of time or even now it's like i still don't really drink and like my friends don't really like say anything anymore about it but i did that for a long time and every single time they would say why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that and so I think you know I think over time if you just stick to like what you think is right and maybe you change your mind down the line but I think that's what's important and if you don't feel like doing something then you just don't have to do it and if someone's going to be annoying or laugh at you or whatever like a month from now or a year from now you're not even going to remember that so I think that that's that's what I would say I don't know
1: how do you get into how did you come to the conclusion that you didn't want to drink anymore and how do you go about doing
0: that and i still drink a little bit like maybe like once a month or something like that i'm just like not super into it um i drank a lot in college and it was a fun experience or whatever but it wasn't something that i was like full i need to do every weekend for the rest of my life um and i also feel like part of that is like the rest piece and like wanting to feel good and in the work we're doing and all that stuff and uh drinking just wasn't playing a huge role in it so like I reduced that but then I also noticed like am I just reducing it to reduce it because like now I feel like because I don't drink I'm like I'm gonna be better at work and I was like okay like there can be some balance here and I don't need to like fully cut something out to feel like oh I did a good job and I didn't do that thing and also you know there's situational things as well you know and it's like you know if I go to a wedding and. I'm with my girlfriend and stuff. I could drink and it'll be fun and whatever, but I'm not going to do it like six nights in a row. You know, so that I've just found like my own lane for doing whatever I think I want to do. I love that. If you
1: are talking to a recent college graduate and he wants to change the world someday or she wants to change the world, what do you tell that person and advise that person on the most important skills that they should be learning to do so?
0: I think, I think one, one thing I would say on the skill side is like it, one, it really depends on what it is you want to do, because there are certain things that like, you know, you do need a more like formal education for right? So like you can change the world and you could be a dentist and change the world, you know? So like there's many things, what I assume the question you're asking is like someone who wants to do, you know, maybe start their own business someday, make an impact in, in their own community or in the world or or, or whatever and I would say that that starts with one always like be learning whether it's about your industry that you're interested in or the world or things you don't know anything about because you don't know how that will help you later on two is like always be asking people for help that's like another skill whether it's just talking to someone um, and asking them questions even if like you don't really know if they're going to have a helpful answer I think it helps open up doors that you don't know about and then three is like just starting and trying something um and being okay if it fails like it's trying something starting a startup having a like starting a podcast like you did like it's just like nothing's gonna happen if it doesn't work like no one's gonna be like oh this guy started a podcast and it failed and even if you stop doing the podcast today everything you would have learned in that time would would far outweigh like if you just worked at a company or you did like you know kind of the more traditional path and so i think trying, learning, and, and asking people and trying to like learn from others is what I would say. How do you figure out when to quit things? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think you kind of know, and what I mean by that is like, it just depends your level of belief and what it is that you're doing. And so if you're starting something as a side project that you're like, oh, this is cool, I'm interested in this, but I'm not like dying every day and I don't think that this is like the 100% what I'm going to do for the next five, 10 years, then you find that path. You say a year. And if it's not at this, I'm going to stop doing it. But if it's like for you, when you started the podcast and you're like, I know this is what I want to do and I want to do whatever it is for this to be successful, then it's like there is no giving up. (laughs) So, so, you know, there's a big range. And and I think that you as a person have to like come to terms and understand like, am I just doing this because I think I'm going to make money from it or am I just doing it? Or is this actually what I really want to do? And then, you know, what am I willing to sacrifice, give up, like, and and do? And yeah, not every idea is going to be, like, the idea that you have to do for the rest of your life. When do you feel most obsessed? I think in different ways, but sometimes in, like, the work that I'm doing, when especially when it's something that we've never done before or something really tricky that we're trying to figure out or something that we're trying to negotiate that's, like, very complicated and and hard and on paper doesn't seem like it would work. Um, I love those situations. I also just love what, when I'm like learning about something new in different ways, whether it's like reading about it and listening to like a, a podcast and like kind of connecting the dots there and trying to talk to someone in in the space about it and just like learn about something new in that way. Uh yeah. Give me an example. I mean, I would say like web three, like I learned a lot, um, just by listening to like Kevin Rose and then I learned a lot from starting to explore and buy a few things that were like super cheap and then i learned from talking to a lot of the biggest people in the space and then meeting kevin and then like talking about like cool things and like sharing our perspective on things sharing how we're thinking about things which is very different comes from like a more consumer brand point of view and and helping that shape what i know you know and and so that's one example where i listened to stuff for so long and my girlfriend was probably annoyed but Um, But it was a really fun experience. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of learners? People who you look to and you're like,
1: oh my God, I can study from this person or. Oh, um, in
0: the way that they learned, you would say?
1: In the way they learned and like for you to seek information
0: from them. I think in terms of learners, like probably like Charlie Munger or like Warren Buffett, it's been very interesting to see like how little time they spend on actually like investments and stuff that they make and how much time they spend like reading and i think actually naval talks about it as well which is like in some fashion you always have to be learning if if you want to succeed in whatever it is that you're doing because if you're not then like you're kind of closing yourself off and saying that i know enough today so he would be another one and i think just andrew huber man like it's just like so cool to like see someone that's like so passionate about what he's doing and so like next level like it's if you talk about just like what his show is which is like a very deep dive into different health topics it's like a very simple concept but then it's like why did no one do it because no one cared enough like the amount of time that he's putting into every episode is something i have never seen before recording for eight nine hours straight and having like the most dense like not for everyone but now it's like the number two or three show in the world is is it is insane you know and clearly like that guy's a learner
1: well it's like his circles of competency are something so few people can replicate it's like very few people are going to be a professor so few people are going to want to be in media so few people are going to want to teach others in that way so like when you think about your own circles of competency this is outside looking in projection is like One, you're a learner yourself. Two, you're in the design world in some perspective. Three, you're in the where the future is going. What am I missing in the pieces of your own circles of competency?
0: No, I think that's good. I mean, I think part of it is like trying to build a brand in today's day and age um, with kind of like the learning pieces that we talked about and my interests and how that all maps to that. And not all of it does, but trying to have this like well-rounded way of doing it and doing it our way and so i think that that those three things sort of come together in that sense.
1: I love it. Well, you've listened to the podcast, you know how i end these which is with the challenge, a challenge points to the place in your heart you think we could take everything we've talked about or something we haven't and direct people to take some action to help them live the best possible version of their own lives. Does a
0: challenge come to mind? Yeah, i mean, I, I have a few different ones. i think one is like um one thing would be just to go on more walks without your phone uh i think that i've started to do that more even before i saw i did that thing last weekend i think it's like like so much of t- the time now we're spent like sitting not doing anything inside and trying to get outside walk and just like allow yourself to be a little bit more in nature a little bit more uninterrupted is something that's been a big impact for me so I would say that's a good challenge you said there was a couple okay i can keep going so another one is like um the human connection piece like i noticed that i always like call a lot of my friends when i'm driving or when i'm doing all these things and and i realize it helps me so much of just like catching up with friends even if it's not about anything specifically and just like feeling good with that especially when like you feel like you're super busy you don't get to hang out with all your friends as much as you want to or um or yeah or it's just like you know you're 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 bored and you want to like talk to someone and i think that the feeling that you'll get and they'll get from that moment is something that like will help both people's days for the rest of that day
1: take a walk call a friend Payman. thank you so much for your time i'm so grateful for you where should we send people to connect with you further
0: um i'm at Payman raf on twitter instagram and then also at Matt happy basically on everything so check us out love it all linked below thank you so much thank you Thank you guys so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. Now that we're almost one-fourth of the way done with the year, hope everyone's years are going well. Like Mason said last week, make sure to check in with yourself and, and stay on track for anything you want to accomplish this year. And keep it going, stay optimistic, and we'll talk to you guys next week.
1: The Mad Happy Podcast is brought to you by Optimism.